0: I began to teach on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, so I want to conclude on that today. If you have your Bibles, turn to First Corinthians chapter 15. First uh, Corinthians 15 is really known as the resurrection chapter. The resurrection chapter. There are in the Bible there are various themes and books that have certain themes to it. For instance, Hebrews 11 is known as there. Who can tell me? Hebrews 11 is known as what? Yeah, the faith, the faith chapter. Well, this is known as the resurrection chapter because it deals with the theme of resurrection. So we are going to look at today the significance and the uniqueness or the uniqueness and significance of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 from verses 1 to 4 and also from verses 12 to 13. We're just really going to go over some of the things we've already said and then teach. First Corinthians 15, one to 4 Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you which also you received and in which you stand by which also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all "...that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Now, verse 12, now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen." I wonder if you can help me with the lights. Um, The light here is kind of in my eye and it's really bouncing off here. It's affecting how I can read. (laughs) Yeah, so anyway, um, so the scriptures that we've read, verse. wow, okay. It's amazing, all kinds of dynamics happening on Easter Sunday. The scripture that we've read, is this okay? The scripture that we've read talks about what the gospel is about. Verses 1 to 4 tells us about the gospel. Paul the Apostle was writing to the Corinthian church because there was a scandal. And the scandal was this, that the resurrection had already taken place. Now, there is a reason why. Now, is this light? Not, not that. This light here. Oh, they can't? Okay, praise the Lord. Well, we're just going to have to bear with this. Can I have this... Um Nah, just give me that. For some reason, it's... Yeah, just give me that. Thank you. We can have a double pulpit. I was trying to bear with it, but it's like, nah. I'll be struggling for the next... Can you take this big thing away from here? Thank you. I'll be like struggling with it for the rest of my preach. I thought, you know what? Just let them know you're struggling. Get rid of that. Maybe you can put some nice cloth on it, then that way... It won't won't be affecting my big eyes anymore. All right, let's try again. So, the scandal was this, that the resurrection had already taken place. And so, there was no longer going to be a resurrection. Now, you may say, why were they saying this? This probably was because of an incident that took place when our Lord resurrected. When our Lord resurrected, the Old Testament saints actually resurrected with him, as we're going to see. So the Old Testament saints resurrected with him and for um, a few days, or quite a few days until his ascension, well, quite a few days, went about telling those who lived in Jerusalem that Messiah has risen from the dead. So they witnessed it. Now, there was amazing things that happened in those 40 years after our Lord died and resurrected. And uh, there's a few historical evidences of it, but we won't go into that today. But the point is, this actually happened and the Bible records it. And so the scandal was that the resurrection had already taken place and it was affecting the faith of some of the believers. So Paul the Apostle writes to the Corinthian church because they were querying him about this. And he said to them what, first of all, the gospel was. And that is, the gospel was that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures or to fulfill the scriptures. He was buried and with it all the, the significance of what that means. We want to look at that today. And that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, or to fulfill the Scriptures. And because of this, and then he went on to say about how he was then, he then revealed himself first to um, Peter, then to the eleven, then to a lot of the brethren, and then even to himself. He revealed himself also to his brothers and so forth. And then finally he revealed himself to him, Paul the Apostle, in his ascended state. And so he then says, if Christ has is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how come some of you are saying there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. Now here's the point that we emphasized on Friday, and that is this, there are some people who teach sincere people who teach that you don't have to believe in a literal resurrection for you to be a good Christian. In fact, to believe in a literal resurrection is really quite ludicrous because really, Jesus didn't really resurrect. It's just a symbolic statement that, you know, he's alive. And, you know, even the Islamists, they teach that Jesus didn't die in the first place and he therefore didn't resurrect, but rather he was taken up into heaven um, and so forth. So the issue of the resurrection is very, very important. We've talked a lot about it in terms of, um, on Friday we talked about its importance, so I don't want to go into that. But let's talk about the unique nature of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. You see, throughout human history, and in biblical history as well, there has been incidents of people who have died and come back to life. Is that not so? And so one could say, so what is the big deal about the Lord Jesus dying and coming back? The point with his resurrection is this, is that his resurrection is unique from every other resurrection. And we're going to look at it. Number one, it is unique because he was the son of God. He was the son of God and is the son of God. Philippians 2 verse 6 tells us that who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation. Our Lord Jesus, as the Son of God, died. He died. And because of that, for him not to resurrect would mean that God remains dead. Again, I don't want to go into the theology of his sonship, but the point is, Jesus is the only only being, if you please, who is both God and man. He is the God-man. He is the God-man, and in his divinity, he is the son of God, and in his humanity, he is the son of man. Now, what makes him God is that he has all the attributes that makes God God. There are certain things, if anybody possesses, they come into what we call the God class. So, Jesus is all-knowing, that is omniscient. He is all-powerful, that is omnipresent. Sorry, he's omniscient. He's all-knowing, he's omnipotent, that's all-powerful. He's omnipresent, that is, he's everywhere at once. He is eternal, that is, he has no beginning and he has no end. He's immutable, that means he's unchanging in his nature. And uh, what else? He is self-existent, that means he doesn't depend on anyone or anything to exist. And finally, he is sovereign, that means he is above or superior to all. Now, only the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that is, the Father, our Lord Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, have these attributes. They are called the incommunicable attributes of God. They are the attributes that God does not give to creation. And so, Jesus possesses this. And because of that, as the Son of God and as the Son of Man, he was crucified and he died. And the mystery about the cross is the fact that God died whilst he remained ever living. God died, and yet God never dies. But God did die in the sense that the Son of God died as a human being. And that's the mystery of the incarnation. In fact, one of the things about Jesus is this, our Lord is this, is that he left heaven but never left. You know, read John chapter 3. He says, no one has ascended to heaven but the Son of Man who is in heaven it didn't say who was from heaven who is in heaven i mean that is just a statement in itself so the point is there's a lot of mystery when it comes to our lord jesus but he his death or his death his resurrection is unique and his death is unique because he died as the son of god secondly the resurrection of our lord was unique because of his vicarious death or the substitute that he was in his death that word, vicarious, I just thought I'd impress you with a big word. <laughs> Means he takes the place of another. And Jesus, he had to resurrect because of the nature of his death. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, he says, For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. He was our sacrificial lamb who was killed on what we call Easter um, Friday or Good Friday, and then on Sunday, he resurrected. And so, his resurrection is unique because of the nature of his death. Number three, let me be quick on this. Our Lord's resurrection was unique because he was the first person to be permanently resurrected from the power of death. The first person to be permanently resurrected from the power of death. Like I touched on earlier on, many people have died and come back to life But then they've died again. You understand? But our Lord Jesus was the first person who died, came back to life, and never died. But when he resurrected, others resurrected with him, as we will see in the scripture. Romans chapter 6, verse 9 says this. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. Now what you need to understand about death is this. It is not simply the absence of life in the sense of we leave our bodies. That is an aspect of death. But death begins with sin. It includes corruption in all its form and eventually destruction. When Jesus died and resurrected, death in all its forms no longer has power over him in the sense that he can no longer sin. He can never sin. Now before he died, he was tempted and there was the potential for him to sin, even though he never sinned. But after his resurrection, he can no longer sin. He can no longer forsake. He can no longer be weak. He can no longer be destroyed in his body. Amen. Okay, so that's another unique element of his resurrection. Number four, the resurrection of our Lord was unique because it was the first fruits of what was to follow after. 1 Corinthians 15:23. He says this, But each one in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. Now, Christ being the first fruit, I touched on this on Friday, means this. You have to understand the concept of first fruits. In those days and under the law, first fruits was an offering that was given to God. Now, there wasn't a stipulated amount that you had to give, but what it was is this. When you did your harvest, you took the first harvest. And part of that first harvest, you brought it to God as an offering. And you gave it to God as an offering to show that the rest of that harvest belongs to him and that you're going to honor him with the rest. Many times people confuse tithes with first fruits. But if you want to be technical, tithe is last fruit. It's not first fruit because tithe is the tenth of what you've harvested. First fruits was a portion that you took. The Bible never stipulated the amount. There's different ones that say the amount. And then you had the firstborn, which was also a form of first fruit. So if a person gave birth, um, uh, their firstborn son was a first fruit to God. And that was, he represented the rest of the family that was dedicated to God. And then if they had a, a lamb or uh, um, 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 cattle, the first Um, Born, the first cattle that came out of the womb was the first fruit that belonged to God. Now Jesus in his resurrection is referred to as the first fruits. And that means, what that means is this, is that he represented the first harvest that God the Father was now going to have of the rest of the human race and they were going to be like him. And just for measure, not only was Jesus the first fruit, but when he came to heaven, When he came before the throne of God to present to God his victory, he also presented a first fruit of the human race in the Old Testament saints that had resurrected with him. So in Matthew 27, I know you're looking at me strange. Matthew 27, verses 51 and 52, it says this. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Verse 53. And coming out of the graves, after his resurrection, after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Now, some say that and then they died again. Nonsense. From that point, he took them all in his ascension with him to the throne. And they're in paradise right now. In their resurrected form. Waiting for when he returns. This is why when Enoch was prophesying... He could say, the Lord is coming with ten thousands of his saints. Because it was these saints that he was coming with, as well as the holy angels, on the day of visitation when he comes to judge the earth. Are you listening? All right. So these are some of the unique characteristics of the resurrection. Now, I want you to understand this. It's very important that as a believer, you understand why the resurrection of our Lord is different from every other resurrection. And now let's talk about its significance. What does it mean? One of the things that really troubles me as a pastor is this. Over the years, I noticed that many believers don't really understand their faith. And I'm talking about the basics of their faith. The thing that they need in order to be able to live a Christian life that is consistent with their Lord Jesus and it is because the foundations that God has ordained in his word that are required for us to be healthy and strong is not there most Christians have a paradigm of having their needs met when they come to church so if their service does not tailor to a felt need they feel like they haven't really got anything out of the scripture. It is like a child who always eats fast food when they are hungry. Eventually, they will die early. For a child to grow healthily, they need to have a proper, nutritious... Is that a word? Yeah, I made that up a word. What's that again? Yeah, that's the one. A proper diet. Because if they don't, and many times, that end diet, nutritious diet, that balanced diet, is not what the child wants. How many of you know that? They don't want that. They want something that tastes nice all the time. So they would like McDonald's breakfast, McDonald's lunch, McDonald's dinner, mixed with KFC, sometimes some pizza, all the time. And, then, and with crisp and soft drinks, just all the time. And you kill them within a few years. Spiritually, this is what's happened with many believers. The basic diet, and one of it is the resurrection of the dead, which includes this doctrine of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus, is missing in our paradigm. And because it's missing, we don't know how to deal with suffering, we don't know how to deal with challenges that come our way that seem to contradict our faith. We don't know how to deal with it because we have no concept of suffering uh, in the context of our faith. Because we've been taught a doctrine about suffering that is unscriptural or unhealthy. Anyway, so let's look at the significance of the resurrection. What does it mean? What does the resurrection of our Lord Jesus really mean for us today as believers? Number one, it proved that Jesus was the Son of God, as he claimed. Why is this important? Because remember, as the Son of God, he is divine, and as the Son of Man, he is a human being. In Romans chapter 1, verse 4, the Scripture says that he was declared to be the Son of God, With power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. God affirmed his claim that he was the son of God by raising him from the dead. We could talk a lot about that. Number two, his resurrection is significant because it proved that he had accomplished what he promised. He had accomplished what he promised. Now, if you look at our Lord's life, a lot of times he would say he's going to be, he will rise from the dead, he will rise from the dead, he will rise from the dead. And so when he resurrected, he proved it. And here's another point. If the Lord did not resurrect from the dead, honestly, if he didn't, everything else that he did and said should be thrown out. Because at the heart of his ministry, he was claiming to be the son of God, and he was claiming he was going to rise from the dead. Now, you cannot have a good moral teacher who says such stupid things and be okay. You can't be, imagine if I turn around and said to you, just to show you that I'm a real man of God, I'm going to start flying. So just watch me now. Flap, flap, flap. And I remain as I am. I have condemned myself because I, I, I said to prove that I am a man of God, watch me flap, 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 flap. And then I still remain here. So, I'll be discredited, isn't it? Well, some of you will still say, it's okay, just made a mistake. (laughs) That's how we are. You know, at times we, we allow, we excuse all this kind of foolishness. But honestly, from when a person says in the office of an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, that I am doing this to authenticate my office, if it doesn't work, just say, you're false you Miss, it. Go back to the drawing board. But we don't like to think like that because we're thinking of our own failings, isn't it? Well, I make mistakes. If I say that he's false, then that means if I mess up, I'm false. Yeah, maybe you are. Let's move on quickly. The point here is this. He promised to rise from the dead. So if he never rose from the dead, he wasn't a good teacher. He was a false teacher. Um, we don't have time, but let me read one thing. Romans 5, verses 9 and 10, I don't think I gave that to you. It says, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So we were reconciled through his death, but we are saved by his life. And that life can only take place through his resurrection. Number three, the resurrection proves that Jesus was a true prophet. Because, like I said earlier, he kept saying he will rise again. Mark 8, 31 says this. I don't know if you've got that one. It says, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. After three days rise again. Or rise on the third day. I mean, that's very clear. All the other stuff happened. So if he didn't rise again, there's something wrong. By the way, if you study... Matthew 24, in Matthew 24, the, the uh, Olivet Discourse where our Lord talks about the end of the age, which most, the King James puts the end of the world, and uh, most people think he was talking about the end of the physical world. In that discourse, he said something, he mentions many things, and then he says, this generation will see all this happen. And, and that statement It's such a controversial statement because people have said, but the end of the world never happened. There was no Trump. There was no son of man coming in the clouds, blah, blah, blah. Therefore, he was false. One day I'm going to do a teaching on the end times and show you how all of that actually happened. But let's move on. It's very powerful. And even there's history, historical documents, where people saw angels in the sky in Jerusalem. I'm not joking. Because everything the Lord said would happen before the end of the age, which was before the end of the Jewish age, by the way, happened. Everything, including what they saw in the sky on that time. I say that because, and there's, you can go and Google it and you'll find it. The writings of Tacitus and the writings of Josephus and the report of the people that saw it. And what those who were, the guy, Tacitus, who was a historian, who was anti-Christian and anti-Jewish, What he said about that incident that many people in Palestine reported. Now, I am saying that because the Lord, everything he said would happen, happened as he said it. Including how he would die and how he would resurrect. I know some of you are right now even Googling it as I am talking. Tacitus, and then Google it later. T-A-C-I-T-U-S, okay? Just the writings of Tacitus. All right, and then you see, oh, Joseph, you're right. And Josephus, Josephus. Okay, fourth point about the significance of the resurrection. It proves that God has the power to raise us from the dead. Very, very important point. You see, whatever happened with Jesus in his death, even though he was the son of God, happened to him as a human being, not for his sake, but for ours. So when we talk about death had no power over him anymore, etc., and all of that, it wasn't because he needed it, because as God, he was already there. But it was because we needed it. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 54 to 55, he says this, For, So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting or Oh, Hades, where is your victory? And what you need to understand is what he's saying is this. This takes place at the rapture. The rapture. The rapture, which are so much, uh, in my view, misinformation. Many Christians haven't got a clue what the Bible actually says about the rapture because they've been watching films and reading uh, fiction books in the name of Christianity. So they don't, they don't know. If, you, if I ask people, what is the rapture right now? You hear people tell me, we'll all be asleep, suddenly one will go, one will be there, nobody will know, and then we'll go in heaven and have a, have a, have a, have a party in heaven for seven years, and then after that, we'll all come back, and then blah, blah, blah. You need to read your Bible properly, because I ain't there. What I've just narrated is not in the Bible. Let's read on. Fifth point is this. The resurrection guarantees that those who believe in Christ will not remain dead, but will be resurrected. So not only does God have the power to raise us from the dead because of Christ's resurrection, but it guarantees that we will be resurrected. Number six. I don't want to give the scriptures. Is, these are on your notes. Is it up there? Do you, are you putting it up there? Okay, good. Because I don't have eyes here, so I don't know. Sixth point. The resurrection was significant because it validated Scripture or it fulfilled Scripture. Again, anything that God does is already in the Word. This is an important point because many believers think God acts outside of His Word. Never. God always acts consistent with Scripture and the resurrection validated scripture, or it was done to fulfill scripture, as we read earlier on. Seven point, the resurrection of our Lord was significant because it is the only plausible outcome from his death. In Acts chapter 2 verse 24, Peter says this, that it was not possible that he should be held by death. It was not possible that he should be held by death. Now, that's a very interesting statement, because he died. But Peter said that it was not possible that he should be held from the, held by death, therefore God raised him up. Many theologians say the reason why it was not possible for him to be held by death was because he was divine, he was God. So it was not possible for God to be held by death. Probably that is true. But I will also add another reason was because he was sinless. And another reason was because of the word. Because the word made it clear that Messiah would rise from the dead. And therefore, because the word said it, it had to happen. The eighth point is this. The resurrection of Jesus is significant because it is a vital element in a faith that leads to salvation. Without the resurrection, you cannot have a faith that leads to salvation. In fact, you cannot deny the resurrection and be saved. Romans chapter 10, verses 8 to 10. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth, in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now look at the scripture, what he's saying. You have to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. So those people who deny the resurrection, I submit to you, cannot be saved. They may have good morals. They may embrace the morals of the Christian faith. But to be saved, according to Scripture, you have to confess Jesus Lord, by the way, you have to confess him as Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead. And it's in that order. It's in that order. You know, we have this statement, Jesus is my personal savior. It's not scriptural. That's, that statement is not a scriptural statement. There is no personal savior in the Bible. Look at you looking at me again. Go and check your Bible. There is no such thing, personal savior. He is savior, period. There's no personal savior. You may think, what is the point? What's the difference? The difference is this. We we think the Bible is written to us, me, Joseph. It's written to a community. The Bible, the use in the Bible, Y O U, is not you as an individual, it's you as a plural community. The Bible is written to us as a community. So my faith is not personal per se, it's part of a family of believers. But the other is the Lord Jesus, and he was raised from the dead. Then you are saved. Then he gives you the privilege of being your savior. You don't, you know, Lord, I want you to be my savior. You can ask him, and that's nice, but he decides whether he will save you. It's not the other way around. Look at you, looking at me again. You're really looking at me with some lovely looks today. He decides whether he will save you. I know what we think. We think, I chose the Lord. No, he chose you. He chose you. He gave you the privilege. You may not agree. You may not accept what I'm saying. But you need to understand about the lordship of Jesus. He has to be Lord of all. Or as the saying goes, or he cannot be Lord at all. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. We're talking about the resurrection. Amen. Number nine, the resurrection of Jesus is significant because without it, we cannot have an active relationship with him. In John eleven twenty-five 25 and 26, our Lord says this, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me, shall never die. Do you believe this? I wonder how many people really believe this. I wonder how many Christians really believe this, that he is the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in him, even though they die, literally or even circumstantially, yet they will live. And whoever lives and puts their confidence in him will never die do you believe this another thing scripture that is important for this is this john 15 verse five he says i am the vine you are the branches he who abides in me and i in him bears much fruit for without me you can do nothing you see without a resurrection jesus is not on the earth he's not in heaven he's not living in us he's still in the tomb it's his resurrection that means we can have a relationship with him We're not having a relationship with a figment of our imagination. The Lord is not a figment of your imagination. You see, we may live like he's a figment of our imagination. And often we do behave like he's a figment of our imagination. Like he's not there watching us, listening to the conversation, watching the attitudes of our hearts. But he's there, always. When I minister the word, I am really concerned that the boss is sitting there and listening. When I'm handling my children, I'm really concerned that the Lord is watching me. When I'm watching a movie, I'm really concerned that the Lord is watching me. So when I'm watching a movie and it reaches parts, it's just me with my laptop, and it reaches parts that I shouldn't watch, I do this. And I fast forward. I'm not even joking. Because he is watching me. Because he lives in me. So he can see through these eyes what I'm looking at. But we behave like he's not there. Tell me something. Would you still do the thing you did in the next 10 minutes I have left? Would you still do the things you did if the Lord was standing there? I mean, physical. Come on. Who's going to be bold and say, I'll still do it? Wave. None of us. But we behave like he's not there. We behave like he's a figment of our imagination. Today, I want to challenge you to live with the revelation of a resurrected Jesus. So what is our response? Well, you can accept him as a historical fact, but that that doesn't mean you're going to be saved. The first people who knew that Jesus was resurrected made up a story that he was not. Do you remember Matthew 28, where our Lord resurrected, the angel came, rolled a stone away, and he came out. And the soldiers guarding him, what did they do? They ran and went and reported it to the chief priest. And what happened? The chief priest said, here's some money. Gave him, the Bible says gave him large sums of money. Hey, money, answer of all things. Large sums of money. And told them to say, we fell asleep and his disciples came and stole the body. Now, listen. I don't know if you know about Roman, the Romans' army. You fall asleep, you're dead. And by the way, you know some of these pictures, you have these two soldiers standing by the tomb, one on the left, one on the right with a sword. Go and read it. What happened was when Jesus died, the scribes, sorry, the Pharisees and the chief priests went to Pilate and said, Listen, whilst that imposter was alive, he said that he will die and that he will rise on the third day. They said this now. So Give us a guard so that we can make, give us security, security, <laughs> so that we can make sure that the tomb is protected till three days. Then after that, it's okay. Because if not, and they come and steal his body, the end will be far worse. So Pilate gave them a guard. Now, we think of a guard like, uh, you know, me and my army, me and uh, on, Olu, come, Zen um, come, you know, Follow, join me. Now remember, there were 11, at least 11 disciples. And the Pharisees asked for, the Pharisees and the chief priests asked for a guard. You think Pilate is going to give them four soldiers? He's going to make sure they have a squad, at least 16 plus. And plus, not apart from them, not only that, they're the, 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 the Pharisees themselves and the, the, the chief priests, they had their own guards. What, you think they're going to leave it to the Roman soldiers? So just think it through. They are guarding this place. Okay, let's just imagine, just the Roman soldiers. Let's say even just four soldiers. Let's just say, okay, no, it can't be four. Let's say 11 soldiers. They're all watching this thing for their life. And they just all happen to fall asleep. And 11 men came and rolled a big stone away whilst they were sleeping without them waking up, and took the body out. Oh, come on, that's nonsense. And by the way, if they stole his body, just for you academics, if they stole his body, why on earth would they be willing to die for such lies? Lose everything for such lies. Peter is being crucified, and he knows it's a big lie, and he says, oh, I'm not worthy to be crucified the same way. Crucify me upside down, even though it's all a lie. I mean, think of the logic. If, if, okay, the rest of us are all stupid. The, the 11, the 11 apostles who were there from the beginning, only one of them was not killed by persecution, who died a normal death. And that was John in the old age. The rest of them. Thomas was hacked in Chennai, where our church is. He was hacked. They hacked him. And Bartholomew and those guys, they were flagged. They were, they were. Some of them were beaten cruelly. They all died horrible deaths, if it was falsehood. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Just logic alone will tell you they must have seen something. So my point I'm making is this, this story that went out that said that his disciples stole the body is a ludicrous story. If you just look at it, it has no basis. However, what I want to point out to you is, accepting the resurrection as fact does not guarantee you'll be saved. Because the first people, these soldiers, they knew, and so did the chief priests, but they were set in their rebellion. And also they allowed money, money, money. It goes, boils down to one or the other, God of money. They allowed money to cause them to deny the truth. Are you still there? It's all in Matthew 28. Read it. We don't have time. But our most important response to the resurrection, the most important is what I alluded to earlier, is Romans 10, 8 to 10, which is we acknowledge Jesus as the Lord of our lives because we believe in his resurrection. You acknowledge him as Lord. You confess him as Lord. In the Bible, to, say, to confess something does not say, does not mean I, I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. That's not what confession means. It means to say the same thing as. So when we confess Jesus as Lord, We are calling him Lord the way God wants us to call him Lord. You know, I I have a preach that really says this. It says this in essence. Make sure you're saved. (laughs) And I point out that the sinner's prayer can never save a person in itself. It is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit for a person to be saved. The problem we have in many of our churches, we have reformed characters, but not regenerated spirits. Reformed characters, people who decide they want to behave well, it's Easter, So now I'm coming to church. you know, it's Easter. You know, even though the clocks went forward, I'm still coming, because it's Easter. Reformed character. I pray that yours is not just a reformed character, but a regenerated spirit, because that's what saves you. So what is the implication for you and I? First of all, we must be born again, so we must respond to his lordship. But for the rest of us, I want to point out these things in this 1 Corinthians 15 uh, passage. Number one, our response is to believe in a glorious future in the age to come. Anyone who believes in the resurrection of Jesus, as the Bible teaches, will have a paradigm of the age to come. Because they know they are going to be in the eternal city on earth one day. You know, the scripture says that the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You must have that witness in your spirit that you are a child of God. I don't know about you, but at times, the age to come looks like this. It's like It's like you're reaching out for it. It's like I was saying to Martin when I was in South Africa, I am really looking forward to when I finish my assignment. Now, he got scared because he thought I was saying I'm going to die soon. I said, I'm not going to die. I know when I'm going to die. I've asked him and he's told me, but I just, I can't wait till it's finished. Because at times in my spirit, I tell him, I just want to be where you are now. I want to be in the eternal city. I want to walk the streets of gold when it is brought here. Yeah, I want to be in that millennial reign with Christ when he comes and sets it up on the earth. I want to be there. I want to walk the eternal city. I don't care what rank. I just want to be there. Amen. I hope that is your hope. Romans eight, eighteen says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So you must believe in a glorious future in the age to come. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20 talks about Christ being the first fruit, which means we also will have what he has. Verses 42 to 44, he says this, So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown to dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Is that my ten minutes? That's up. Praise God. Well, my time is up. Let me say one or two more things. Second response is this of the resurrection. It empowers us to face trials and tribulations because of our faith. In 1 Corinthians 15, 29 and 30, he says this, concern the resurrection. If there was no resurrection, otherwise what will they do who are, who are baptized for the dead if the dead do not rise at all? Why then are they baptized for the dead? And why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? What does that mean to be baptized for the dead? Simply put, in those days, the, the pagans used to baptize people on behalf of those who are already dead. And what Paul was pointing out to the Corinthian church is this. Even the pagans believe in the resurrection. Why would they be baptizing for the dead if the dead don't rise again? But then also it has another meaning, and it means this, that by identifying with Christ, that word "baptized for the dead, it also can mean we are identifying with his death. And what's the point of us identifying with his death if we are not resurrected? So the next verse, why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? In other words, why are we putting ourselves in danger every hour if the dead are not going to be resurrected? You see, what I want you to see as a child of God is this. You're not supposed to live your life with this reference in mind. You're not supposed to live with this natural life in mind at all. You live your faith for the Lord. You plan for the future, but you're willing to die now, if need be. Can you say amen? Amen. Third point, follow the example of martyrs past by being willing to die for your faith. So the next verse, 31 and 32, I affirm by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. This is how many Christians live. They live for today because they don't think of the age to come. Because they don't realize that there is a resurrection. And Paul says, listen, for the sake of the ministry, I have dealt with very difficult people who are like beasts in Ephesus. I I am dying daily. In other words, I'm denying myself every single day. If there was no resurrection, I wouldn't be putting such measures on myself. I wouldn't forgive freely. I wouldn't make a fool of myself and keep forgiving and releasing and blessing people who are taking the mick. I would just be like everyone else, live for myself because I'm going to die. And that would be the end. The resurrection empowers you to be able to live a life that is willing to die. Follow the example of martyrs' past. Four, it causes you to look forward to the second coming of the Lord and the rapture of the saints. You see, in the Bible, we touched on this on Friday, the second coming and the rapture happen at the same time. So if you, if you don't believe me, let's read 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 to 55. He says this, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed. In a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Period. That's how it happens. If you want to see another place 1 Thessalonians 4 verses 13 to 18 he says a similar thing. He says in verse 13 1 Thessalonians 4 I do not want you to be ignorant brethren concerning those who have fallen asleep caught up or raptured up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord in heaven. No, doesn't say in heaven. We'll always be with the Lord, period. Not in heaven because he's coming down. We meet him when we come down with him. Therefore comfort one another with these words. These two scriptures tell us when the rapture happens, how the rapture happens, why it happens. That's where, that's where it is. There's nowhere else. Apart from um, scripture in 2 Thessalonians, which some apply in a certain way. But that's what it says. It says when the Lord comes, what's going to happen is there will be a shout. The archangel will shout. They will blast the trumpet, the final trumpet, the seventh trumpet will sound. In Revelations, he talks about the seventh trumpet when it sounds, and then God's final purposes is unleashed. And then what happens is the dead in Christ rise first. The resurrection takes place. The first resurrection takes place. Then those of us who are alive and remain, we are raptured. And we meet the Lord in the air and we're with him forever from that point. That's what he says. Amen. We'll stop there.